How's everyone doing? Good. What book did I um, primarily preach out of last week? Nehemiah. All right, did you all think that was going to be the book we were going through last week? No? Okay. Laura's sharp. <clears throat> um, so we went through Nehemiah last week to look at some things regarding pro-life. Um, a couple weeks ago, we had the camp sharing service, which was on Father's Day. And so I didn't get the opportunity to give a Father's Day sermon. And I really wanted to. So I know some of you dads are like, whew, man. I mean, the wives got it like the month before, but uh, we're escaping by. But no. So here's your... <laughs> Tammy says thank you. <laughs> so here's the Father's Day sermon that I would have given two weeks ago. Also, if you're uh, observant, you will know the Old Testament book that we're going to be going through starting next week. Does anyone know? Obadiah, yep. <clears throat> it's a huge book, by the way. All of one chapter. Okay. But that being the case, none of you have an excuse to show up next week without having read that book. Okay? <laughs> it's so long. So make sure you do that. We're going to be going through that. The plan is to be done with that by the end of 2023. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Hopefully before 2022 ends. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we do thank you for all that you are to us and how gracious you are to us. Lord, thanks that we can come before you, lift up your name, worship you. We can come and humble ourselves before you, seek your mercy and grace. We can celebrate the unity that we have with you and the fact that we have a fellowship with you and your son with the Lord's Supper here. And God, you are so gracious to forgive time and time and time and time again. Lord, I pray today that you would... Um, Speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Let us be receptive of the truths in your word. Lord, I pray for other pulpits and other churches across this county, across this state, this land, this world, that they would be faithful to preach your word and only your word today. Um, be with the pastors and bless them, God. The pastors in our area, may they uh, speak your truth today, God. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Belize. Continue to be with them. Continue to walk with them. Continue to strengthen them, Lord. Continue to be um, their uh, provider, Lord. We thank that you are good, that you are so good to us. Bless our time now in your word. Amen. All right, there's three um, things I'm going to focus on. I don't always do like the alliteration thing where every word starts with whatever letter you want. <clears throat> but I'm going to do it today, all right? So you're going to get uh, three Ps, all right? Uh, the title of my sermon is A Husbandly Display. So the first P, and this is uh, really directed at the dads, uh, the fathers, the husbands. The first P is provide, provide. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 
1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 8, says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So provide. There's a physical aspect that I want to talk about for a moment in terms of husbands slash fathers providing. They need to provide basic needs for their family. Things like food, things like clothing, things like shelter. God takes seriously providing for those of your own household. So much so that here we see in this verse, like when I first read this uh, when I was a, a new believer, like I, I had to read that last part like five or six times because he's like, if anyone does not do this, he has denied the faith and he is worse than an unbeliever. I was like, how can you be worse than an unbeliever? But however that's true, and we'll look at it in a second, but however that's true, that's pretty bad. If Paul's going to call you worse than an unbeliever, but what's the reason for doing that? If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household. So there's a physical provision. I think there's also a spiritual provision he has in mind, but a physical provision specifically here, talking about basic material needs, food, clothing, shelter. It is not the primary role of the church to provide these things. Okay? It's, not the, it's not the primary role of the church. It's the role of the family, specifically the husband, to provide for his family. Does the church come along and help when and as needed? Yes. But it's not the church's primary role. That role, specifically, has been given to the sphere of the family. And then, specifically, to the head of the family. Usually, the husband. So it's, it's not the primary role of the church. It is the primary role of the family. Why are they worse than an unbeliever? Because remember what Paul has said elsewhere, like in Romans. Unbelievers having the word of the law written where? On their hearts. So unbelievers are known to instinctively do the things of the law. They have a conscience. It guides them. Right from wrong. Can it be seared? Absolutely. And it does get. But he is saying, for a, a professed believer who has God's law, honor your father and your mother, <clears throat> to fail to do what even many unbelievers instinctively do warrants the verdict that he is worse than an unbeliever. So it's a serious thing for the man of the house to be a faithful provider, to be a good provider. This does not mean they're living in some, you know, five-story mansion. No. But it also doesn't mean they're eating uh, beans every week. Okay? It doesn't mean that there's fancy cars every other year, but it means there's provision for transportation as needed. It doesn't mean that they're wearing and shopping at the nicest areas possible, but it doesn't mean that the clothes have holes in them or kind of embarrassing for the wife or the kids to wear. We're talking about provision. Look at Exodus 21.
Exodus 21, starting in verse 10. <clears throat> it says, If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, he sh she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. Now this is in the context of a man taking another wife, an additional wife. He's setting up laws. He's not condoning it. He's just setting up laws to oversee it. But here's the point. Not providing in this situation was grounds for divorce for the woman in the Old Testament. What's he supposed to do? There's three things that he lists there. These three things. What are they? Food, clothing, and marital rights. Conjugal relations. Those three things. That was grounds for divorce in the Old Testament. It was serious when it comes for a man taking care of his family. He needs to be faithful to do it. But it's not just providing for physical needs. I've talked with many, 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 many people who have said, well, my dad gave me what I physically needed, but he, he wasn't there for me. And they'd rather hand over all that stuff that they had just to have their dad there for them. So meeting physical needs is good and required, but here's the thing, husbands, fathers, you have to be present. You have to be present. Now my dad, uh, he loved to work. He loved to work, probably too much, but he loved to work. But <clears throat> I have a memory ingrained in me. Um, I did different sports, but the main sport I did was cross country. And I have this memory that every single race that I ever ran, my dad was always at. Now, he probably missed some along the way, I'm sure. But I have this memory of him always being at my races. And, and even though my races were at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and on his typical day, he'd work toward till 6, 6.30, 7, maybe later. He'd, he'd stop his day, leave his work, drive 45 minutes to watch his son run a 20, 25-minute race. So he was present, even though, even though he probably loved to work a little too much, he realized the importance as best he could to be present for his son. Did the same for, for my sister as well. So with that, you can be home a whole lot, but not present. You know what I'm saying? I remember about 20 years ago, I'm hearing a lady share uh, that her husband came home every night from work, go into the bedroom, close the door, and then just like surf mindlessly on the internet for hours and hours. <coughs> kids are there, no interaction with the family. That's what the kids see growing up. Listen, that doesn't work. You can be home all you want, but that doesn't work. That's not being present. That's wrong. You have to be present for your wife and present for your children. Even simple things that I think are very important, like family meals. Family meals are very important. And I think each family should have a goal of having a certain number each week as a family. Now, I get the hustle and bustle, and if you get into whatever sports season that your family's doing, it can be super crazy. <clears throat> but even last night, as an example... Um, Andrea had made dinner. I wasn't hungry because I had a big lunch, but it was dinner time. And so, um, you know, and my oldest is 
uh, turning 20 in like a couple weeks. So I'm like, you know, the days of my entire family, those are slowly coming, or quickly coming to an end, right? One's going to move on at some point. Um, so I was like, hey, let's just, I'm not going to eat because I'm, I'm still full, but let's just gather and just for five or ten minutes, let's just kind of hang out together, all right? Uh, because we had kind of done different things that day. And you know what my kids said? They're like, Dad, you are so amazing and awesome. <laughs> that is such a wonderful idea. We'd be delighted to all eat together, okay? <laughs> you can ask them afterwards if they said that, all right? <clears throat> In addition to being there physically present, men, you need to help with the children. You have to do it. Your wife needs breaks. Um, she literally needs breaks to be able to get outside the home by herself. Opportunities to get away, at least for a couple hours. You know, I, I remember numerous times coming home, get home, pull into the garage. I'd sit in my car. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'd had a long day. But thinking to myself, my most important job is about to begin. My most important job is about to begin, okay? Your bosses and your coworkers, they're going to come and go. You really don't have much responsibility to them, especially compared to your family, your wife, your children. They're not going anywhere. That is your most important job. So helping with the children, creating a spiritual environment for growth. Here's the thing, men. You need to be constantly pointing your wife to Jesus. Constantly point. You should be like a, a, a little mini Bible walking around. Okay, not just quoting scripture. You know, like when your wife is in a bad mood and you're like, oh, the Bible says rejoice always, honey. Okay? <laughs> that doesn't go over so good, does it? <laughs> but a, a little mini Bible walking around that knows the scriptures and then can minister, listen, encourage, exhort, be there, be wise to apply it in your ministry to her. Say, if you're going to point her to Christ, guess what? You need to be with Christ as well. You've got to be walking with him so that you can best point her to Christ. So that's the first P. What's the first P? Provide. Come, there's only three today, y'all. You've got to at least walk out with those three words, okay? Provide. The next one? Protect. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. I mean, he didn't have a lot, of, a lot of commands at first, at least not ones that are written down for us to see. He didn't have a lot of commands. But one of them is right here. What's he supposed to do? Work it and keep it. That idea there of keep, <clears throat> when you drill down a little bit, the idea is to guard or protect. To guard or protect. Did Adam protect the garden? No. Right? The serpent came in. Adam failed to protect the garden. He failed to protect his wife. 
Could he have kept the, the, the serpent out? I don't know. That's like a hypothetical. But I do know he could have protected his wife against the serpent. That I know. So we might get uh, all sorts of, of, of serpents, including Satan himself coming in, trying to disrupt our gar garden. Yes. But we can still protect. We can still guard. Yes. We can still keep. Okay, so men, you need to protect your wife. Protect it. A great example of protecting April 15th, 1912. Anyone know what happened on that infamous day? The sinking of the Titanic. Captain, now I, I've not seen whatever movie they made. I don't know, it's probably been like 15 or 20 years. I've never seen that movie. <clears throat> but I hear that they didn't do the greatest job of showing what happened when the boat was sinking and, you know, uh, who got on boats and different things because that a realistic from the accounts they have of the people who survived, was that the captains and the officers were continually shouting women and children first. And almost without exception, men, get, realizing there was not enough seats, gave up their seats, got out of the lifeboats. Without almost exception. For comparison, in 1987, a ferry sank in the Philippines, killing over 4,000 people mostly women and children. And another ferry in the Baltic Sea sank. Uh, most of its survivors were also men. And they interviewed some of these men who had survived, <clears throat> and their, their responses are, are sad. One said, it's survival of the fittest. Another said, it's every man for himself. And another said, if women want equality so much, they've got it. I mean, what happened in 60, 70 plus years? A shifting of ideology, right? Ideas have consequences. They did a survey uh, a while back called the Titanic Test, asking men similar questions regarding <clears throat> giving up seats or not, 67% of men answered they'd be willing to give up their seats for their spouses. Two-thirds. So one out of three was like, nope. Only 33% would give up a seat to a woman other than their spouse. 55% would give up a seat, only 55% would give up a seat for their own mom. Ideas have consequences. We've created that situation. We've done a good job of training men to think like that. If there's a creaking sound in the night, who's getting out of bed to go investigate? <laughs> that's right I am and so are the other men <laughs> but what's happened why do we have stats like the ones just quoted because men and women Romans 1 we suppress the truth the truth about God and really the truth about what God said about us the truth about ourselves you know, if one child hits another child and break, breaks one of his bones, I mean, something bad and wrong has happened, right? 
But when we hear a father hitting his own child and breaking one of their bones, everyone understands the moral atrocity that's occurred there, right? They realize that that's on a whole different level. And men have a special vocation from God to be protectors, especially of those weaker than them. When they abandon that post and pursue its opposite, you know, abuse, the moral horror is only increased. So any man who abuses a woman commits an awful act that's completely inexcusable. But a husband who does so is even worse. Why? Because he does the exact opposite of what God calls him to do. Instead of protecting, he harms. Instead of nurture, he exposes. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to come back to this passage in a moment, but I want to look at one particular verse here, but we're going to start in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay, so how are they supposed to love their wives? As their own bodies. So everyone out there in the world is looking out for number one. But God is saying in terms of our relationships, our number one is our spouse. It's not us. And the application is, like, whatever we might do for ourselves, we definitely need to be doing for our spouse. So what do you do when you're threatened? You protect yourself, right? That's what you would do for your spouse. It might include removing yourself from harm's way. It might include fighting back. But whatever the husband would do for himself in all areas, he would do for her. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Weaker here doesn't mean less. It doesn't mean inferior. Okay, we kid ourselves if we say the average woman's physical strength is equal to the average man's physical strength. We've got uh, high school sports and college sports are so messed up now, it's glaringly obvious that's true. There's nothing wrong to acknowledge that. There's nothing wrong to acknowledge some people can use help at times, whether that's spiritual help, emotional help, mental help, or physical help. My best friend in college, one of my best friends in college, Rob Myers, uh, who his slides up here, he's six foot seven. 
All right, I liked having him around with me <laughs> on the college campus, all right? He helped us get out of, not that I was doing anything entirely stupid, but, you know, borderline stupid. <laughs> I mean, it was nice to have him there to make sure we got out of some of those tough situations unscathed, you know? Now, he would always tell me, you do realize if this ever gets physical, like, we're toast, because I've never been in a fight a day of my life. <laughs> and here's the truth, though. If protect and provide, the first two Ps, if, if those were the mantra of, of this land, we wouldn't have had the abortion epidemic that we've had. Men would have stepped up. They would have provided for their pregnant girlfriend or wife. They would have ensured the baby was protected and provided for. They would have done those things. Men in positions of power would have used their power, not to abuse it, but to provide protections for those weakest, the unborn. Speaking of which, more of a side note, I told you last week when I gave my pro-life sermon that it was very nice that I didn't get any nasty, I, I would do it not getting any nasty emails, and I didn't. <clears throat> but a church in this area, a gentleman was asked to pray uh, before the sermon was given. Was asked to, you know, just pray, you know, like just a prayer before the sermon was given. And he's praying, and he thanks the Lord that Roe v. Wade is overturned. And someone from the choir loft yells out, boo. Supposedly conservative church. The next day, he gets an email from the leadership requesting a meeting with him. I don't know the results of that meeting, but my counsel was, if it's anything but them shaking your hand and thanking you for praying, then you need to leave that church. If they're going to rebuke you for thanking Jesus for an amazing thing that he did, that's not the church for you. If anyone is, it should be in that meeting, guess who it should be? The person in the choir. Okay? That's how messed up Christianity is getting today. And just being real. Okay? That's not even trying to toot our own horn. There are some legit, amazing churches in our area. Okay? But there's definitely some that are claiming the name of Christ, probably even preaching what we would call a true gospel, but when it comes to really walking it out, it's not there. It's just not there. If we can't understand something as basic as the value of innocent human life and be able to rejoice, we've got major issues. Major, major issues. I could go on on some different things. I'll save them for another week, but it is... Uh, I used to have a lot of hope uh, for conservative Christianity. And I guess I'm finding that conservative Christianity is a much more narrow than I realized. Because it can be very discouraging when you hear other stories of, of churches in this area claiming the name of Christ that we think are legit. And the truth is, when it's time to put, put feet on the ground and do something, it's not happening. That's why we need to pray for the ones that are standing for the truth. We really do that are taking hard stands. <clears throat> one gentleman, I was reading uh, one of my 
Covenant alums um, posted a little, a little uh, passage from the sermon that he preached uh, just right across the river in Illinois. I mean, and, and it was like rock solid. And I'm sure he took, uh, potentially took heat for doing it, but he gave a pro-life sermon. And, and I thank the Lord for him. And I sent him a little message yeah. that I was blessed that he did that. Yeah. It is much, much tougher than you think for pastors to take stands. It is much easier just to, just to lay low. But it's not right. All right, what are the first two P's? Provide, protect. Last is prize. When I say prize, I'm using it in the verbal sense. To value extremely highly. Okay? Not like, oh, she is a prize. Okay? That most of us think, yes, we definitely like won the lottery when it comes to our wife. Like we got one out of a million, super blessed. But I'm not talking about it in the property sense. I'm talking about it to value extremely highly. Look back at the Ephesians passage that we just looked at. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. How are we supposed to do it, men? As Christ loved the church. Then he gives us a little bit more and gave himself up for her. Here's my question. You don't have to answer it out loud, but men, are you doing this? Because think about it. One, love your wives, but then two, as Christ loved the church, I mean, that takes it to a whole new level. Whatever Christ did for his church, that's supposed to be our attitude and our approach towards our spouse. And what did Christ do? Lovingly, graciously, he's washed her with the word, sanctified her, right? wiping away the spots and the blemishes out of his mercy and grace, even to the point of laying down his own life. I remember reading this story a while back on the altar. It was, it was uh, a wedding, <clears throat> and the pastor is giving like a short little sermon, and he turns to the groom and was like, if you were called to lay down your life for your wife, would you do so? And he like kind of fumbles over his words. And then afterward, the groom was rebuking the pastor. Like, why did you put me on the spot like that? And the pastor was like, I really wasn't, sh- I wasn't, that was not putting you on the spot. That was you affirming the very covenant you were about to make. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. If you aren't willing to do this, single people here, don't get married. Don't get married. Okay? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Does your wife know she's number one? She needs to be number one. You might say she's number one. She needs to know she's number one. Words and actions. She needs to know it. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So he finds this great treasure, right? And what does he do? 
He sells everything. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He finds this great treasure. He sells everything. What's the idea here? Like he's going all in. I mean, that's like marriage. You're all in, right? And it's kind of like, I think husbands would say here, like, man, we, we found that perfect treasure and like we were all in. Guess what? You need to remind yourself of that. Remind yourself of those vows that you took. Remind yourself of how you once thought and should still think about your spouse. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You do whatever it takes, right? You do whatever it takes. That's your spouse. You've covenanted with her before the Lord. How many covenants do we make? Just one, really, with, with another person. And that's just with one other person for life till death do us part. That's, that's really the covenant that God lays out. We covenant with him, and then we covenant with one in marriage relationship. And that marriage relationship, <clears throat> if you, when you're thinking back to Ephesians, right, that's supposed to be the analogy of Christ with us. That's where Paul's talking about that mystery. Here's the thing. To do the above, we have to make sure we're walking with the Lord. We have to ensure that Jesus is number one for us. So th This means, men, you need to get it together, so to speak. It means cleaning up some of your lazy habit, habits. It means stopping your poor habits. Because sometimes I think I can just hear in my mind, and sometimes it's probably my own thoughts, but sometimes I think it's the thoughts of some of you, like, oh, I have freedom. Well, you do have freedom. But the problem is how you finish that sentence. Because it's like, I have freedom to watch this. I was watching, I was watching some movie last night, and and I said something along the lines of, I, I, I was like, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't watch a movie that I wouldn't let my two oldest sons watch. And, and, and that caught them off guard a little, one of them off guard a little bit. But I'm like, well, I, if I don't want you watching it, why would I be watching it? I mean, you're of age to make your own decisions. I want you making decisions similar to the ones I make, hopefully. So I better model it well. So sometimes we're like, I have freedom to watch this. I have freedom to say this. I have freedom to do this. Well, look at 1 Corinthians 6, because I want to show you something there. Someday we'll go through 1 Corinthians but for right now, we're just going to look at one verse. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now, without going into it too much, if you can notice there, hopefully, in, in your version, I haven't looked, but in my version and other versions I've looked at in the past, the all things are lawful for me, are those in quotes in your version? Then it says, and then it ends the quote, but not all things are helpful. Then it goes back to, quote, all things are lawful for me. Then it ends the quote, right? Does your version do that? And then it says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Okay, here's the thing. Don't have time to really get into it. But the quote part is what the Corinthians were saying to Paul. 
all things are lawful for me. He, that's what they're saying to him. They're trying to argue, you know, when, when letters are being written, sometimes he's correcting error and wrong thinking. Well, that's what's happening. So all things are lawful for me. That's what he's quoting that they've said, and then he's addressing it. Okay, but not all things are helpful. Like, we have freedom in Christ to do a whole bunch of different things. But guess what? Those things aren't helpful. Goes on, all things are lawful for me. He's still quoting them. But I will not be dominated by anything. That's his response. So they're being dominated by all sorts of different things, the Corinthian church. Just read up the first six chapters and you can see it. And he continues on after. But the point is, what? Don't use your freedom for what? An excuse for sin, an excuse for licentiousness, an excuse to be lazy, an excuse to do whatever you want. That's not your freedom. You think Christ died on the cross just so you could watch whatever R-rated show you want to watch? Seriously. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free no longer to be what? Subject to a yoke of slavery. Set you free from sin. Not so you could choose the sin again. Come on. But to be free. And to walk in that freedom. So sure, you have freedom to watch certain things. You have freedom to say certain things. Freedom to do certain things. But the question is, are those things helpful? Are they helpful? That's what you have to ask. Are they helpful? Look at what Galatians chapter 5 says. The first verse is the one I was just quoting. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Then he continues on. You can read the passage later on your own time, but go down to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we're asking, does this help me spiritually? Is it beneficial? Is it wholesome? Is it righteous? Is it pure? If not, don't do it. Because here's the thing. I think that we've bought into a lie that there are many things better in this world than Jesus. Here's the truth. Jesus is better than anything. Okay? So whatever... Some of you are buying a lie that Jesus isn't better. And you honestly... Uh, realistically, <clears throat> you just need to say, Jesus is better than, and you don't have to say it out loud. I don't want you to embarrass yourself. Uh, but Jesus is better than, and fill in the blank, whatever it might be you're struggling with. You know, Jesus is better than pornography. Okay? But when we're dabbling in it and doing it, we're sure not thinking that or saying that. We're not living that. Jesus is better than everything. Everything. Whatever sin you struggle with, whatever weakness you have, Jesus is better. He's better than all your sinful choices. He's better than drunkenness. He's better than alcohol. Okay? All of those things, Jesus is better than. So whatever your struggle, you should say that and remind yourself, Jesus is better than and whatever you're falling short in. Whatever your temptation, whatever your weakness. Here, here's the beauty, brothers and sisters. The gospel says yes to where the world says no. I'm, I'm so glad that, that God doesn't cancel us. 
I mean, seriously. Amen. You know what he cancels? Our sins. That's what he cancels. But he doesn't cancel us. So who, who, who gives a rip what the world does? Cancel all, us all you want. I, I care about the one who really can cancel, all right? And what he can cancel. And he's canceled our sins. In this world, you step out of line, you're canceled. Your business, your livelihood, it's gone. Praise the Lord, we have a Savior who is very gracious to us. Saves us out of the muck and the mire time and time again. Initially, but repeatedly, he does that. What are the three Ps? Provide, protect, prize. I was driving here this morning, and I had a pretty large tumbler of water. Uh, I've been, I went running yesterday, and then I had to do a couple errands, so I, I brought, but I didn't drink much of it for whatever reason. So I had this large tumbler of water, and I even remember looking over it on the way to church, and I was like, man, I, I need to dump that out as soon as I get to church, because that can make a mess if I'm not careful. <clears throat> and I had these books I was bringing up to church, and I was driving, and I look over, and two of the books are about to, like, slip onto the floor. And if you know me with books, like, I like to keep books in really good condition. And these books weren't even mine, but it doesn't matter, because I'm consistent, all right? <laughs> these books were about to fall on the floor and get messed up. So I, like, reached over to grab those two, these books, and as I'm reaching, my, like, elbow hits this tumbler, I don't even know what happened because the next thing I know, I'm soaking wet, my center console is soaking wet, my entire passenger seat is soaking wet with all these books. <clears throat> and I was like, holy, and I had like a little roll of toilet paper. It was soaking wet. I was like trying to dab. I took like the whole roll and I'm like dabbing water as I'm driving. I mean, I was just like, what a mess. I get to church I'm, and, and finally I was so concerned about the books and I was like, oh, I actually have my laptop in there too. But <laughs> I like my books in, in real good shape. Justice walked in later to my office, and one of them was like still wet, and the pages were all crinkled because I was going to quote from one of them. And, he's like, and he, I didn't even say anything to him, and, but he knows how much I like my books. <laughs> and he sees the book, and he's like, you're, you're, that's actually your book? <laughs> yes. I'm like, it's a long story. <clears throat> I really don't know how, much, how I got water everywhere. It was on me. It was, I mean, it literally it was like, like, 30 ounces is a lot of water when you spill it, okay? I'm just saying. <clears throat> that one book got totally ruined. The other book, it, like, the dye was running everywhere. I was just like, how is this even possible? But here's the thing. Here's the application for us, men. When we make messes, which we will inevitably do, all right? Our wives can well attest to that. When, when we make those messes, guess what? We take the time to properly clean it up, okay? Whatever messes we've made, we address them. It takes some time to do that. It takes a whole lot of time sometimes to do that, but that is the righteous and right thing to do. If we've created and messed up and, and been sinful, guess what? We address those situations, we humble ourselves, we apologize to those, we acknowledge our wrong, right? We plead the blood of Christ, we walk in repentance. Yeah. We walk in repentance. So our 
Our role, men, is to provide, protect, and prize. We want to make sure our wives know they are truly cherished. From the first day at the altar towards life's last breath. Let's pray. Father, help that to be true. We acknowledge that we have fallen short many times with our wives, Lord. Forgive us for that. May we make it right. We acknowledge we cannot provide, protect, or prize without you. Give us your spirit to strengthen us, to walk in righteousness towards our spouse and our children. We thank you that we can do this by the grace and mercy that comes to us through the cross. Lord, whatever we might need to do to make things right, even today, may we as men humble ourselves and make it right. May we walk in humility before you strike down any pride found in us and realize we are utterly dependent on you, Jesus, for everything. Help us to take the words today, Lord, and they would bear fruit in our lives, in our families' lives. For your glory, Lord. Amen.